That's not indicative of a good leader, right? A good, a good leader picks his battles and marches forward when there's no point in having a battle. That's super interesting. You guys should check out the group. Yeah, but Mike's like 70, 80 years old, so he spent 20 years, <laughs> I believe, in the field, another 30, 40 at GAF. When people are alleging that your work wasn't done right, when people aren't paying, when the government is coming for your company. You know, a good lawyer is worth their weight in gold because most of the time, a short consult is all you need to make sure that you've covered your path and all of your liabilities. Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown and this is the Hook Better Leads Podcast. And today I have Tim Johnson on with me. How you doing, sir? Good, thanks for having me, Tim. Of Smith, Jaden Johnson here in Minnesota. Where do you guys serve all the- um, We serve predominantly the Midwest. We've got offices in Denver, Minneapolis, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and Columbus, Ohio. Awesome, we're talking about the differences between W-2 uh, versus 1099 employees. What are the laws doing? Are they changing? What should you be careful of as a roofing company wielding these two tools in your arsenal? Um, I don't know, if you, do you have strong opinions on this topic? I know you're gonna tell us the laws and stuff like that, but what, what would you do if you're a roofing company owner? You know, I, uh, I have fairly strong opinions about this, but it's only because I represent a lot of contractors and I wanna make sure that they don't get in regulatory trouble. Mm -hmm. So uh, I call it the duck test. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, acts like a duck, it's probably a duck. Um, and that's really the difference between 1099s and W-2s. 1099s are the people that you traditionally think of that are independent. Um, for most of the contractors out there, your subcontractors are the prime example of what a 1099 is. They have their own tools, they have their own crews, they can work for multiple companies, they operate profit and loss at their own risk. That's a true 1099. And so you're not messing with that. You don't have that big of a problem with, you don't have a no, problem with that. No, absolutely not. It actually kind of like, shields people from liability a little bit. In it does, areas, yeah. yes, because that company's acts are its own. The uh, W-2 person is typically what we think of as an employee, somebody we tell what to do, uh, where they're gonna be, when they're gonna be, how much pay they're gonna make, um, and those people, you know, they don't buy their own tools, they don't have their own profit and loss. Um, so your managers, your receptionists, the clerks that work for you, um, those are traditionally the people that you see have W-2. Um, the difference is, really in the amount of control the employer or the, the company has over that person. Um, the IRS has a 20-factor test to figure out who is an independent or who is um, truly a W-2 employee. The, this is all over the United States. Yeah, that's the IRS. Each yeah. state also has different tests. So in Minnesota, we have a nine-factor test which is very similar to the IRS's 20-factor test. The IRS just came out with a new three-factor test, but what they did was divided their 20-factor test into three different groups. I actually brought a copy of that if you're... Let's, we're gonna get into it yeah. in more depth here in yeah. a second. I just wanna talk okay. about the risk here for, sure. for folks that are maybe just... The, the problem is, is that you don't wanna get... They'll actually prosecute you. Yeah, there are super heavy penalties. Um, if you classify somebody, and this is where the issue is, is if your workers get reclassified. So if you classified somebody as a 1099, you don't withhold their payroll taxes. Um, they take a bunch of write-offs that employees don't get to take. Mm. So in the event that the IRS or the state agency here, the Department of Revenue, reclassifies your people, um, then you owe back taxes, typically there's penalties, and those penalties increase if they think you did it on purpose mm -hmm. and didn't do it on accident. Um, so the penalties can be hefty. I've worked on a couple for some clients of mine um, who luckily were able to evade any major problems, but they were facing millions of dollars of penalties. Um, and one of the things 
and the roofing industry that um, is pretty common is classifying salespeople as 1099s. Mm -hmm. So they're often scrutinized um, for that reason. The roofing industry is a prime target. And it's kind of going up, isn't it? It's like getting more scrutiny. And it's like supposedly there's going to be more, more scrutiny from what I've heard. Yeah. There I don't know how real that is. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think we've seen it yet. There was, um, when Biden was campaigning, one of his promises on the trail was to um, fix some of the people that were dodging this loophole. Yeah. And then, you know, this year they hired, I don't know, 90,000 new IRS agents. Um, so I think the- Just a couple. Just a few, <laughs> just a few. <laughs> the government wants your money and they will do what they can to get it. The, the, it, the question is, is this going to be an actual focus for them? Yeah. and. TBD, right? Yeah. I've, I've got clients across the country. Nobody has come to me saying they've been investigated for this yet. Um, still getting trained. All those 90,000 people are still getting trained. Yeah, that's exactly right. They, they haven't learned how to do their job if yet. They're, if they're trained by the government, maybe it will go really yeah, slow. Yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be just fine <laughs> or not happen at all. <laughs> but it does seem like it's going to be a thing in the near future. Yeah. Um, has it happened yet? Um, not, not on scale that I've seen. Yeah. Okay. So... When is it appropriate, let's say, if somebody was having a salesperson as a 1099 employee, is there ever an appropriate situation for that? Or would you advise people generally to move all of them to W-2? The safest play, and you'll see, um, well, you and I know there's a lot of venture capital in the space, buying yeah. companies sure. and rolling them up. Those guys are risk averse. So they like to see everybody as a W-2. The reason being is there's absolutely no risk if you categorize everybody as a W-2 employee, but some of the best salespeople truly want to be independent. They don't mm -hmm. want to be beholden to a company. So it's not wrong to 1099 your salespeople. I was talking to CNAC last week and he was saying essentially he's, he's been 1099 for his sales career yeah. and roofing and he's like talking to his owner and he's like, are you gonna, you know, like, I gotta be where you, like I'm a high performer, but then I'm gonna be kind of micromanaged. They don't wanna be micromanaged. Yeah. If you're a high performer, if you are actually gonna crush it, because I think that the, on the other side, the owner thinks, I only want the best of the best, and the best of the best are often attracted to that. And I, yeah. don't, I don't want somebody that's attracted to just getting 60,000 base. Sure. Well, it, two things to that. One is you can pay a W-2 employee the same way you pay a 1099. Yeah. You know, if their commission is some outrageous number, you can pay them that as an employee the same way you would as a 1099. Uh, but then you have to pay their part of their payroll taxes. So um, you don't lose those people because of that. But what they seem to really like is they're entrepreneurs, right? They want to have um, freedom to do what they wanna do and the way that they wanna do it. And the more freedom that these folks have, um, such that you can't tell them where to be, when to be, how to do their job, um, they invoice you for their commissions um, instead of getting a paycheck per se, um, those factors tend to weigh in favor of that person being 1099. Versus the sales guy you hire who has to be there nine to five, Monday through Friday. Be at the sales meeting on Wednesday at 7 a.m. Exactly. Like if you're doing that, it better be optional, right? Yes, and there's a risk that those people could be reclassified, but that's not the only thing. It's time you rethink roofing. Check out Roofing Rejuvenation by UglyRoof.com and add a whole new revenue stream to your business. None of your clients and none of my clients are doing this, I'm yeah. sure, but yeah. we see it in the industry. Yeah. The um, reality is there's a lot of the salespeople who get told when, 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 where, and how to be are 
would likely get reclassified if the government came knocking. Sure. Um, but these are factor tests, right? So it's not any one factor. They weigh all of the factors and determine, does this person, you know, the duck test, yeah. do they smell more like an employee or are they truly independent off doing their own thing? Absolutely. Okay, so you said that it doesn't matter for labor and that's mainly, you, you kind of gave the reasons for that. Um, it can though, if you totally keep somebody captive and yeah. you treat them like your employee, you tell them where to be, they that's work the for thing, you nine to five. That's where I get a little stuck because like, I always tell Rupert, like, because it leads into marketing. Do you have processes and checklists that you're carrying out? And you can have your subcontractors um, carrying out your processes, your checklists. Yeah. So that's, that's okay. It, it's okay in as much as you are striking an agreement with them about the services they're gonna provide. Yes. Right? It's just like if you buy Comcast. Because we do that with our, develop, our web development. We have like a, you know, a standard, we have standards that if you're gonna do work for us, no matter if you know, you're subcontracting, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, and your standards are about the product, right? Yeah. This is how the product should be delivered. Yeah. But what that doesn't say is, here's the way that you have to do it. I demand that your crews go from left to right on the roof. Yeah. I demand that they go from up to down. Mm -hmm. You don't talk about their performance, you only talk about the product final that they deliver. product. So demanding a final product, that's what buyers do in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. That's not employing somebody. That's a 1099 okay. activity. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so anything else we can do to shed light on this topic before we move on to some other ones? I know that. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring this because yes. contractors are always asking this. The IRS sometimes does try to be helpful to small businesses. They've produced this. If you're watching this, Google Form 5520. That is the factor test. Um, that the IRS applies to Behavioral determine. Behavioral control, financial control, and relationship. So the, the three questions, does the business controller have the right to control how the worker does their job? Yep. Two, does the business have the right to control the economic aspects of the, the worker's job, which that needs a little explanation. So like unreimbursed expenses, for instance. Yeah, here's the real test. Can they profit or lose on a job? Mm. An employee never can, right? Yep. Employee gets a salary. Yep. And then lastly, how does the worker and the business see their relationship with each other? You know, are there employee type benefits? So like if you yeah. give them an employee type benefit. Exactly, yeah, employee okay. benefits. Is a truck considered an employee benefit? It looks like one okay. in some cases, okay. yes. But it's not like, yeah, I always think in terms of like what, what real risk is there? Like we may be talking about the like letter of the law, whereas it's not like necessarily that there's a huge risk at the moment of it being prosecuted. Um, no, it, but it's you know the same risk with anything is getting audited, right? Because mm -hmm. that's how these happen. Yep. They, there's an audit. Um, that's scary. It, it certainly <laughs> is. Okay. What, do we got? Certainly, what else we got here? No, that's it. Okay, so that pretty well covers that particular topic. Mm -hmm. What else do you see as being something that's really pertinent? I, I mean, I don't get to have you in here very often. Yeah. It's only the second time this week. Second time this week, yeah. And, but I, I do want to say, like, anything else that you'd like to tell the roofers out there, we're just broadcasting to uh, usually growth mode roofers from one to 10 million. Yeah, and for this topic specifically, um, one of the most compelling factors is having a written agreement that spells out your independent contractor relationship where there's no agreement, the presumption is sort of employee. Um, so you really want to make sure you've got an independent contractor agreement that spells that out. You really want to make sure that you're not giving people 
paychecks if they're truly independent. They should be invoicing you for service. Um, they should be running their own profit and loss that we've mentioned mm -hmm. a few times. Um, so that stuff's really important. But for the guy scaling, um, the law part's pretty easy. Get a good lawyer who can draft up your contracts, make sure that those are ironclad so you can avoid mm -hmm. litigation, and then start focusing on people like you and the John Cenax, the people that can tell you, um, you know, Mike Goldenstein, the amount of information that that man has rolling around in his head. Um, so you can get the information to scale your business. Why does he have so much information? I have no idea. Like, because he was, he was working for GAF and now, like, but how, like, why did he need all that? Well, this you know, he started as a roofer, okay, so he yeah. needed to know that How stuff. How long was he in roofing before he went to GAF? I don't know. He's like 67. You guys should join this group. It's, name, it's like, um, name that roofing what's, code? That, what's that roofing code? And it basically just shares roofing codes, yeah. and it's super interesting. You guys should check out the group. Yeah, but Mike's like 70, 80 years old, so he spent 20 years, <laughs> I believe, in the field, another 30, 40 at GAF, <laughs> and now a roofal. No, yeah. I'm just kidding, Mike. I, I know you're only 60. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So, yeah, it's just crazy. He like to retain all that. He's got to have a machine memory. You probably have a really good memory too. With I, all these I do, but not yeah. like him. I mean, yeah. he can reference any code section faster than I can reference most laws. So, good for him. Well, it's it's fun to see people with that different skill set. Um, so. Yeah, anything else on that topic? Otherwise, I'll just want to pick your brain on other stuff you, you nope. talk. Yeah, what no. are things that roofers are coming to you with problems right now that you've been able to help solve? And maybe, maybe something that you get a lot that you'd rather just tell people about publicly. <laughs> well, a couple of things. Um, those are really good questions. So what I get called about a lot is... Um, collections matters. Yeah. I think that contractors probably underutilize um, the law in their collection effort, and this is different in every state. So you gotta have somebody in your state um, who knows what they're doing, um, because collection laws are pretty strict, um, regulatory compliance, but um, you shouldn't be leaving money on the table. The law definitely favors contractors, especially with mechanics liens. Mm -hmm. It's an unbelievable tool for collection. So that, that's something I don't think people think about or do enough. Aaron Bible was just on Dimitri's podcast and he said, he's, he's like, I don't have problems with collections because lean. <laughs> yeah, and he probably doesn't yeah. have very many problems okay. with collections. Roofers, you want at least five solid lead gen tactics building chemistry. Let's say you have door knocking, referral systems, job site branding, and you add in aggressive SEO, paid ads, and boom! Mmm, smells like more leads. Hookagency.com. Because I just had um, Raymond Little on the podcast. Mm -hmm. In that case, it's kind of like this obviously, you know, it's yeah. really obvious. But where is that line? Because then on the other side, I'm sure you've had shady contractors trying to make everything go when it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so where is that line? And and like, is there? Is it? Is it always blurred? It feels like from the outside perspective, like a homeowner, it feels like it's always blurred, and you don't know what's real and what's not. And I wish that was clearer, so that like that roofers didn't come off as shady sometimes. Because in those disputes, when you don't know from the outside, it's not technically obvious all the time. Yeah, you know, my experience in the industry is probably like yours. If there's 100 roofers, one or less of them would be a shady roofer. Yeah. But I, that one or less of them gets the bad rap for all of them. Yes. Um, and I actually think the industry has done a much better job of policing itself lately. Um, you see folks like um, 
Eric, nobody can pronounce his last name, Oberempt from Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Paul Reed, guys are talking about integrity, doing things the right mm -hmm. way. Um, you know, Sammy and Logan from Crest, they're all talking about doing things the right way, mm -hmm. and that's become the message instead of the quick cash grab, yeah. which I think. Let's just make as much money as we possibly can yeah, and who, by whatever means necessary. And who yeah. cares who gets hurt? Um, so I think the industry is doing a good job of growing up, um, and I think there's less and less of that. But to the, the original question, the, the money gets made in the gray, right? Mm -hmm. In the well, this is close to a full roof, but maybe not a full roof. Mm -hmm. And those are good disputes to have, right? Where reasonable minds can differ. The adjuster might not think it's enough. You think it's enough. Um, and in most states, the law or an appraisal panel can resolve that um, if that truly is the dispute. But I, I actually think the industry has gotten a lot better. Um, mm. It's definitely um, rising. Do you think it's the same, the 1% thing with like, Shady stuff happening on the insurance side. If you had to guess, I, I do. I, I like it's two percent. I, I like to. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's two. Well, I, I do like to tell people that I do think that most insurance companies um, and adjusters are trying to do the right thing. I think if you go in with that mode, you're going to have a much better life. Sure. I mean, some people. I mean, I do think that. <laughs> Not I, assuming everybody is the worst. Yes. Yeah. I do believe that some people get addicted to the fight. Sure. Some people just love to get down in the mud. But um, you know, those are the type of people, in, in my opinion, that if your focus is on having a fight with everybody and always having to win the fight, that's not a company that can scale because it's not very, that's not indicative of a good leader, right? A good, a good leader picks his battles and marches forward when there's no point in having a battle. But um, you might need a lawyer more often. Yeah, those people are great for business. Yeah, rich and wrong, those are the best kind of clients, they say. <laughs> Oh, that's a good uh, tagline. I like it. Um, so what else, uh, you know, we talked about a few things, but anything else that you wish you could just consult to the average roofer right now? <sighs> things that you see, like questions you get, you get them like twice a month, but you wish you could just like answer everybody. <laughs> I get so many. Um, <laughs> I really do. Like I yeah. get a lot of really good questions, yeah. which is why it's tough for me. Um, but do get at them if you've got your questions and, and they're legitimate and potential, you know. Yeah, well, let, let's put it this way. If you work with a lawyer that you're comfortable with and you've got a legal question, don't assume you know the answer. That five-minute phone call, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars I've saved my clients yeah. because they thought to have the phone call. Mm. And keep your lawyer on speed dial when people are alleging that your work wasn't done right, when people aren't paying, when the government is coming for your company or over something, whether that's the Department of Labor or whether that's the Department of Revenue. Um, you know, a good lawyer is worth their weight in gold because most of the time, a short consult is all you need to make sure that you've covered your path and all of your liabilities. Mm -hmm. It's the people that don't call their lawyer until they've been sued, and now I'm like, well, I can't undo what you did, so here, here's where we are in defense mode, um, and you know, lawsuits are expensive. Good lawyers, good accountants. Yeah, talk, talk, good accountants for sure. Talk to them often. Yeah, that's good. Good advice. Good bank. Yeah, <laughs> those are that's all you need, yeah. really. It's true. And then learn. Got to have a good insurance guy too, because you got to cover up the vehicles, <laughs> yeah. the CGLs. Yeah. And then learn leadership, and you're good. Yeah. Just have those four, five people on speed dial and try to learn leadership. Yeah. Um. All right, I'm trying to think. Oh, let's do a little bit on Minnesota laws and how they're changing. You mentioned that 
something big is happening in Minnesota laws for roofers. Can you explain that and try to give people a little guidance on that? Yeah, for the Minnesota folks, there was a case that came down um, just a few weeks ago in the Minnesota Supreme Court. The case was called St. Matthews versus State Farm. Um, the fighting issue in the case is, in Minnesota, we've got the statute, it's 65A10, that says if you issue a replacement cost policy on a, on a homeowner or a residence, that the um, insurance company has to pay to bring the property up to minimum code when they do repairs. Mm -hmm. So the fighting issue in this case was um, there was um, rain or some storm got water down through the roof line and it got drywall wet and the drywall needed to be replaced. And behind the drywall was a masonry wall um, and that masonry wall wasn't up to code. And so in order to fix the drywall, you actually had to fix the masonry too. And it was an expensive fix. It was like $70,000. So State Farm didn't wanna pay that. Of course, the policyholder said, well, you have to pay that. I can't fix my drywall unless I fix this masonry. And so the district court agreed with State Farm. It went to the Court of Appeals, who agreed with State Farm. And then it went to the Minnesota Supreme Court. And the decision was 4-3, uh, which is a very close decision. It's as close as it can be. Um, and the Supreme Court held that State Farm didn't have to pay for that. The fear of that case is, the, the holding is that if it's not directly damaged by the storm, the insurance company didn't have to pay for it. Mm. Um, the fear of that case is really with people with roofs, um, is the obvious example. The decking very rarely gets damaged by hail. And so the, mm. the fear is that if now the decking isn't damaged, well, we replace the shingle, but what about the decking we have to bring up mm -hmm. to code? Um, luckily in that case, if you're a contractor in Minnesota, um, you should read it, look it up on my website, I've blogged about it. The court uh, made a note that State Farm had actually paid for roof decking in this very case, mm -hmm. even though they didn't pay for the masonry. And the reason they did that is because they considered the decking to be a part of the roofing system, um, mm. which is accurate, right? If you look at chapter nine of the code, the roof is referred to as a roof assembly, mm -hmm. which is a system of four different components, decking being one. And Seems so- Seems like a very important part of the- <laughs> Kind of an important one, right? Um, so there's been a lot of fear, I think, that that case will mean that insurance never owes to bring anything up to code unless it gets wet or damaged by hail. Um, I, I hope that that won't be the result because mm. there'll be a lot of homeowners left holding the bag. But um, you know, for the Minnesota folks at least, you're gonna wanna make sure that you're informing your customer they may have out of pocket and uh, make sure that you're, when you're talking about the roof, it's an assembly. So decking isn't some separate isolated component. It's one part of the assembly. Mm. Yeah, who needs shingles? Just decking. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you just tape them up on uh, the rafters, I guess. <laughs> exactly, or just the fact that it could be rotted out, then you replace all the shingles, and then you're like, but you know, in a few years, you're gonna have to, like, you're gonna just have holes in your roof. Yeah, and somebody's it, gonna fall through. Exactly. Well, just don't go up there. Just tell the homeowner not to go up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might be the answer for some folks. Do not walk up on your roof. It yeah. no longer holds humans. <laughs> um, hey. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. What's your uh, your guys's dot com? Yeah, it's sjjlawfirm.com. Um, our website blogs regularly on these topics, so check it out. Awesome, and the podcast is put on by hookagency.com, hookagency all over social, and thank you for watching and listening. All right, bye.